Once again, it's the Everything Voluntary Podcast, the official podcast of everythingvoluntary.com, with your hosts, Skylar Collins and Philip Eager. All right. All right. Hello. This is the Everything Voluntary Podcast. My name is Skylar. And I'm Phil. And... This is episode 21, and this is the third week of May 2014, and today we're going to talk about Wizards' second rule. So it's the second rule in the Sword of Truth series by Terry Goodkind, and it comes from the second book titled Stone of Tears. So before we get to that, we'll just uh, touch on personal news, and did you have anything you wanted to uh, reveal or relate in the, on this, Phil? Hmm. Uh, not, not really, not this week. I just, uh, have been having some enjoyable conversations with the guys at work about, uh, these ideas and, um, you know, a lot of clocking out and then standing by our car for 20 minutes after work while I am yelling into the void. <laughs> I need to <laughs> chill out a little bit, but I get so excited an audience that is willing to listen to me rant my ideas with real-time reactions, oh, yeah. that just satisfies my ego to no end. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. So, anyway, but that's about it. Well, I have some news. And oh, other than friend, other than close friends and families, this is going to be an Everything Voluntary Podcast exclusive reveal. And that is, my wife is three and a half months pregnant. Oh my gosh! I gotta hold the microphone <laughs> away from my head, dude. Okay, this is actually uh, my real reaction, dude. Skyler, that is awesome. Yeah. Oh, congratulations, man. Thanks. Ah, okay. Sorry. No, that is. <laughs> I'm looking at the volume on the computer, and I'm like, "Did I clip? No, I didn't clip." Okay, I gotta get louder. I need to clip for this. Ah! No, just kidding, dude. <laughs> I am so excited for you. That thanks. That yeah, is great. she's uh, she's due in November 11th, and we're okay. So right now we've got resolve, and we're gonna, you know, we've decided to wait because we've got a boy and a girl already. So we're like, we're gonna wait to see what it isn't, you know, when it's born, but we'll. We'll see if we can hold to that until then. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so. I, dude, I am just so excited for you. That is really cool. Yeah, right. we're excited. It's um, our our two kids right now are eight and four. Their birthdays are the end of October, so they'll be nine and five when the little guy or little girl is born. And so mm. that kind of puts them nice and separated. Four years between the first two, and then five years this one so it's it'll be interesting i was i was telling my son and we when we revealed it to our kids um last saturday uh we recorded it you know we got them a little gift with some baby toys and then a picture of the ultrasound and oh and my daughter my daughter at first was like is this a penguin because she thought it was it looked like a penguin <laughs> and we're like no it's a baby and you know where that baby is and she pointed to herself she just thought it was a, a picture of her own ultrasound and we're like no it's in mommy's tummy and and my my son was so happy he kind of got emotional he was he was he was real happy and she was happy and so now like every every hour my daughter's asks my wife how the baby's doing <laughs> oh, dude yeah that is fun. that is so awesome 
seriously, uh, I, I'm like at a loss for words. I just, you know, it's reassuring when people I think are bright reproduce. So like, <laughs> it's, it's nice to hear that and to hear also, it's refreshing to hear fathers who are excited to be having children. Do you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. not just their yeah. first one. So, you know, it, 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 the world is very misanthropic. Like, they're, they don't like more people coming into the world. I shouldn't say the world, but there's this kind of mentality that I've even seen in my own family where, like, a baby, oh, that's, you know, kind of this really negative outlook on human life. Like, it's life. such a burden. Yeah. And, yes, yeah. it's it's not difficult, but... It, when you love your kids and also feeling like we have the tools and the technology, so to speak, to be able to handle it, I, I don't know. It's one of the most beautiful things. It is it, emotionally, it's in, incredibly exciting. Plus, it's uh, you've you're fulfilling the uh, your biological destiny. You are continuing into the future. Uh, the you know billion whatever years it took to produce you you know yeah, to, we're, to be like oh that it just sounds inconvenient so i'm gonna not do that to just be the last domino in a line i don't know well uh, yeah we're we're really excited i mean um so with my my oldest son i you know i i i have regrets i i spanked him and we 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 didn't really let him cry it out that kind of stuff because my wife was was pretty against that despite my protesting and, and urging her to do that um, as ignorant as I was. Um, and then with my daughter, you know, that's, that's when, when I started turning around and so she's never been spanked or I've, you know, never been angry with her and our relationship is just really good. And so with this next baby from the beginning, we're going to, and, and we've had our family bedroom here for, um, about a year and a half and, you know, and so we've, we've done the co-sleeping here for a while. And so now with the baby coming in, we're like, you know, we're definitely going to, we're going to do that. And my wife and I, um, I've been reading a lot about the co-sleeping and the risk factors and that kind of stuff with that. And my wife is on her own firm mattress. And so she's up against the wall. So it's just perfect for the baby to be right there next to her with the wall on one side and her on the other. And so we're kind of looking at that. We're kind of excited because this will be, um, a, a different experience than what our other two kids had. Now my, my daughter had a different experience than my son. And so this will be, a, you know, a, a, a third experience, I guess you could say. And so we'll be able to see the differences and, you know, the importance and how, how you approach kids in the, those early years and, and then how they turn out later, that kind of stuff. So, hmm. um, but yeah, we're just excited to kind of, to kind of do that. And now that we're, we're here and, and I mean, we do have the family bedroom now and we co-sleep and that's, that's great. My kids love it. And it's definitely brought us closer and everything. It's been very beneficial. Um, but to, to just start that way, um, with an infant, with a baby and stuff, it's, it's going to be interesting. I'm real, real excited for it. So, and also, um, to see, um, just, just the general attachment to, I mean, with our other two kids, we didn't, we, we didn't have any sling or anything like that, but my wife wants to, wants to look into that. Um, and so we'll both sling up as often as we can and kind of be as attached as we can because no, the dude, uh, yeah. if you have any questions about that stuff, my wife is a big nerd when it comes to the, 
you know, the baby wearing and all of that. And, uh, she could help with the slings and the, you know, I, I, making the co-sleeping arrangement work. You know what I mean? Like if with three, three kids, that's going to be a lot of fun. My, my son, you know, we didn't do co-sleeping when he was a kid and, or when he was a baby, he's still a kid. What am I talking about? Um, (laughs) but, um, so he sleeps in his own bedroom and we give him the option, but he still chooses to sleep in uh, his own room. Uh, but my daughter and my son, uh, my second son, Isaac, who's now, uh, he's almost two months, uh, are sleeping in the bed. So, um, but yeah, what we do, yeah, we have that little corner with a little, uh, border on the bed as kind of a little protective thing. And then, uh, we, my wife just puts like a kind of, have you ever seen like a beaded wrist rest that you use for typing? Like it's just kind of a long bean bag or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it's something like that. Um, it's not stuff with beans or anything, but it's just like a little divider just in case. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's, that's probably paranoid cause you know, uh, my <laughs> wife sleeps like a rock. So do I. So we don't move around a lot, but, uh, anyway, no, I just, okay. Just seriously, congratulations. I'm very excited for you. Um, obviously, the, we have a couple of podcasts to prepare you, so maybe go back and listen to those. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, um, the, dude, that's awesome. And, and, you know, I don't know. We haven't really talked about what kind of birth we're going to do. I, I think we definitely want to do as natural as we can as far as preparation. Not, I'm not so sure about um, we're not so sure about either home birth versus hospital or right now we're probably leaning to, towards hospital. Um, but right. and you know, obviously change, so. the hospital technology is there, especially if there's any history of complications or if you, you know, like my, my wife worked in maternity for several years. She had friends who were, um, trained as midwives and, uh, doulas and, you know, she had, had a, uh, much, a much larger, like, I'm trying to think of a way to explain it. Uh, she just, the, the history of her births combined with, um, you know, the knowledge base combined with her, uh, support network of friends who had experience, uh, with birth, both in hospitals and at home, you know, it wasn't a light decision to just be like, oh, because people say so, I'm going to do a home birth. It was like very thought out and planned and all of that. So, right, you right. know, it, it, I hope I never came off as like, if you don't, you are no, not no, no, a no. bad parent. No, it's it's something, you know, that I've thought a lot about. And, um, you know, I guess in theory, it's something I'd, I'd want to do. But, you know, unless my wife was a lot more knowledgeable on it than she is, I think I think it would probably make her more nervous. <laughs> you know, the, the kind exactly. of thing that's yes. stressful, right? Yeah. Which is what you don't want when you're giving birth. So, if, yeah, um, uh, yeah, you want a feeling of safety and security in order not to in order to avoid the triggering of the hormones that might make your holes slam shut, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> to say it bluntly. So yeah, so we can can cause all complications. So 
Yeah, we can look at other ways of, you know, reducing stress and that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and, and but, like maybe avoiding the temptation for induction. You know, obviously if it's over a certain point and the doctor recommends it, but like uh, sometimes people will just like pick the day their child is going to be born and then they induce and that causes complications. It's like you could have a natural hospital birth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, we haven't. But our, even if, had, you know, it's her, it, it, I don't want to use any guilt or shame in this, in this arena. So, because yeah, I am not a medical professional. So, yeah. All right. So that's, that's it. That's our big news. And like I said, this Hooray. is, this is a, this is a <laughs> podcast exclusive. I'm not other than, other than close friends and family. I'm not announcing this on Facebook or anywhere. I mean, once the baby's born, we may do a picture, but otherwise my, we we choose to kind of keep this um, private. I know a lot of a lot of other people kind of have their whole lives, but um, I don't know this kind of thing. We just feel more comfortable um, being a little bit more private about it. So, yeah. Um, but my wife did. You know, she was like, "Okay, all right, you can announce it on the podcast, but don't don't go all over Facebook." And I was like, "Yeah, well, I don't want to go all over Facebook just because I just." Oh, I like her vote of so. no confidence in our podcast. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, nobody's going to hear oh, that. No, 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 it wasn't like that. It was just like it was like I you know, I've got to announce it somewhere. So let me no, just No, dude, this is this that. is awesome. No. Oh, and and yeah. be sure to tell her I say congratulations as well. I'm very excited for you guys. Yeah, I will. Okay. Yay, All right, well, that's uh, that's that's it for <laughs> personal news, I guess. All right, on to the topic. Um oh, so yeah. All right, Wizard's second rule. Now, this rule was um, uh, given in the second book of the Sword of Truth series, which is titled Stone of Tears. And it's actually towards the end of the book. And I guess uh, by way of synopsis, I don't really want to spoil any of the books, so I will say this. In this book, the protagonist... um, is is there's a there's a threat of um what do they call them there's there's the creator right who's like god and then there's the um what's what do they call them i can't even remember anyways the the chaos or the satan like figure is threatening to break through his veil and take over the world anyway so the protagonist has got to do something about that because he's sort of caused it. Um, so while he's gearing up to do that, he's suddenly um, kidnapped um, by some sorceresses and taken south, south of the area where this is all happening. And he's forced to go to what's called the School of the Prophets, where these sorceresses train wizards to become wizards. And he's just, at this point, he's just barely... Um, starting to accept the fact that he is a wizard. It's something that's kind of new to him at this point anyways. And so there's one other, um, well, there's a lot of, uh, wizards in training at this school, but there's one, um, okay. So there's different types of wizards. One of them is a prophet wizard. And so there's one prophet there who happens to be an ancestor of the protagonist. And the reason he's an ancestor and he's still alive is because, there's kind of um, the school itself kind of has a shield around it that in within the shield time does not pass. So within the shield, you know, they've, they've, 
they, or excuse me, you don't time passes, but you don't age. So the sorceresses and, and whatever, there are varying ages from a hundred years to the, the person who runs the school called the prelate. She's like 900 years old, but she looks like she's 60. And this, this prophet wizard, he's, he's an ancestor of the protagonist, Richard. Um, but it's like great, 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 great uncle or something. But he only looks like he's 50. Anyways, and so he's um, – Richard, the protagonist, wants wants to see him and get to him because he thinks he can help him um, better than the sorceresses are. And so he, you know, he makes his way in there to see him and he has a conversation with him. And, and within that conversation, this uh, second rule is revealed. And the second rule states, the greatest harm can result from the best intentions. Mm. Yeah. I, I, when you told me about this, I got really excited because that's one of my favorite uh, ideas uh, that I feel is worth understanding on a deep level. So, okay, a little uh, – do you have any more you wanted to say yeah, about just, how it fit into the story? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so So Richard asks and, – and the prophet's name is Nathan. He says – he says, and the second rule, and then, and then it says, Nathan says, the second rule involves unintended results. And then Richard asks, so what is it? And then he says, the second rule is that is that greatest harm can result from the best intentions. It sounds a paradox, but kindness and good intentions can be an insidious path to destruction. Sometimes doing what seems right is wrong and can cause harm. The only counter to it is knowledge, wisdom, forethought, and understanding the first rule which is we talked about people are stupid probably should have reviewed that. It's it's um, if you remember the first rule was uh, people are stupid. They can be made to believe any lie because either they want to believe it's true or because they're afraid it's true. So understanding the first rule and then also having uh, knowledge, wisdom and forethought is what is what can help you not violate the second rule. But even then he says here that is not always enough. And then, and then Richard asks, "Good intentions or doing right can con- can cause harm, such as like he's he's kind of skeptical." And then Nathan um, Nathan goes on. He says, "Well, it would seem kind it would seem kind to give candy to a small child because they like it. Knowledge, excuse me, knowledge, wisdom, and forethought tell us that it would make the child sick if we continued this kindness at the expense of good food. Right? If all you let your kid eat was candy, then eventually he's going to have a lot of problems, and so you would you would bring harm to him." Um, and then he goes on with uh, Richard says, well, that's obvious. Anyone, anyone would know that. And then he kind of goes on to a better example. He says, say a person hurts their leg and you bring them food while they heal. But after time, they still don't wish to get up because it hurts at first. So you continue to be kind and bring them food over time. Their legs will shrivel and it will be even more painful to get up. So you're kind and continue bringing food in the end. They will be bedridden, unable to ever walk again because of your kindness, your good intentions have brought harm. Um, and then Richard is still kind of skeptical, and he says, I don't think that happens often enough to be a problem. And then Nathan says, well, I'm trying to give you examples. So you'll be, you'll be better able to uh, extrapolate to more difficult problems and, under, and understand an obscure principle. And then um, he goes on. He says, good intentions, being kind, can encourage the lazy and motivate and motivate sound minds to become indolent. The more you – the more – 
help you give them, the more help you need. They, uh, excuse me, the more help they need. As long as your kindness is open-ended, they never gain discipline, dignity, or self-reliance. Your kindness impoverishes their humanity. If you give a coin to a beggar because he says his family is hungry and he uses it to get drunk and then kill someone, is it, is it your fault? No, he did the killing, but had you given him food instead or gone and given his family food, the killing would not have happened. It was a good intention that resulted in harm. Wizard's second rule, the greatest harm can result from the best intentions. Violation can cause anything from discomfort to disaster to death. Um, and, and this is powerful here. He says, some leaders have preached peace, saying that even self-defense is wrong. It seems the best of intentions to shun violence. In the end, it often leads to a slaughter where their, where their threat of violence in the beginning would have prevented attack and resulted in no violence. They put their good intentions above the realities of life. They accuse warriors of being bloodthirsty when the warriors would have actually prevented bloodshed. Um, and then Richard asks, are you trying to say I should feel no shame at being a war wizard? Which is, which is what uh, Richard now understands that he, that that's the type of wizard that he is. It's called a war wizard anyways. And then Nathan says, it does the sheep no good to preach the goodness of a diet of grass. If the wolves are of a different mind anyway. So there's a few examples Mm. there and there's, there's, probably um, a little bit we can talk about in, in the context of what we see in the world around us today outside of, of course, this fantasy novel. But I don't know. What do you think? What are your thoughts at this point? Okay. Well, when I first heard the rule, when I first hear the r- rule read to me, I am immediately drawn to the expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I believe I've told you this before. I've probably mentioned it on the podcast before, but growing up, I thought that that expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, meant if you have a good intention, carry it out immediately. You don't want to say, oh, I intended to do something, but I didn't do it. And people would say that to me. They like, well, I meant to do uh, like I, I like if there was something I was supposed to have done uh, in a church calling or something like that um, and I didn't do it. It's like, I well, I meant to, but I didn't. And then people would rebut me with, uh, well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh, it's, okay. So it, in, in, in that example, you intended to do it, but didn't. Whereas yeah, versus so you I, had, yeah. I, okay, go on. Yeah, I, I, that's how I had always interpreted that. I got you. But when I began to learn about um, the the liberty stuff and the unintended consequences and uh you know some of the economic i'm trying to remember exactly when it came about um suddenly the definition was explained in a different way that i had never thought which chances are i just totally missed it like most people probably understood what that expression meant i thought it was a call to act on good intentions as, as soon as you have them when it's actually a warning that you know and the example I've given probably a hundred times, but I just love it. Walking up and you see a woman who whose belly is sticking out and you're like, oh my goodness, you get excited and you go up and when are you due? And she looks at you with a sad face and goes, I'm not pregnant. And then yeah. you just cringe <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, I just meant to rejoice in the life you were bringing into the world with you. I had the best of intentions in the world, but I ended up wounding you. Oh no. <laughs> so yeah. once I understood and, that, I was like, this totally changes the meaning. And I, I realized 
that the places where I'd mainly heard the other definition were in kind of a more religious context where just go do good. Your, your intention is all that counts. And I, I don't know who specifically said this to me, but there was always, you know, it's the, the opposite of the road to hell of is paved with good intentions is it's the thought that counts, right? <laughs> right Isn't that yeah. the, you know, a- axiomatic opposite of yeah. that rule? So maybe, uh, after, uh, I don't know, you tell us a little bit more, but I do want to talk about the, it's the thought that counts sentiment anyway. Sure. Ahead. Well, Sorry. I, I, you know, and, and I think, I think it's important. I mean, the rule is the greatest harm can result from the best intention. It doesn't say the greatest harm necessarily results from the best intention. So, so you can have really good intentions and then everything can work out great. Um, but right, as right, long right. as you have wisdom and knowledge and, and when it comes to knowledge and wisdom, I mean, just, just think of, just think of having a, a basic, um, understanding of the principles of economics. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to give our, um, I'm going to give the, the people, the, the city planners or whoever, or our legislators or whatever, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and say that I, I think that their intentions are good. But when they, when they, so their intentions are to help the poor and, and how they're going to do that is to raise the minimum wage or their intentions are to help the poor. And the way they do that on a city level is to, uh, enact rent control. Okay. Again, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt, um, and say that, that that's really their intentions, that they're just trying to help. But the, the, the harm comes when, the minimum wage that they implement is higher um, than a certain poor person's um, marginal productive value, and that person then loses his job. Okay, so now they intended to help the poor, and there are and there are some poor that are helped. Okay, those are the seen, and then the unseen is the poor that lose their job, or their job is sent overseas, or their job is replaced by you know, a self checkout machine or some other technological advancement, yeah, which is great because the it, job makes, just it never makes, exists in the first place. Yeah. Or the, or the, yeah, the job never exists. It never is never which created. It's really hard or, to verify in statistics. Cause you're like, what job would exist now if it wasn't for the minimum wage hike in that year, you know, but there would be a direct result from that anyway. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Exactly. And then that, that's, that's what the example of minimum wage, when you take the example of rent, rent control, rent control, disincentivizes um, landlords from making improvements and from it also disincentivizes new development. Okay. And so the existing stock of housing goes into disrepair and is never, there's never any new housing built. And so housing becomes more and more scarce. And so you then have shortages. And so now you have, you know, the demand is there, but the supply has dwindled. Okay, mm. and because you know, so again, the people that are hurt are those that are then forced outside the city and have to commute into the city and pay higher prices out of the city for you know whatever because their their rent isn't controlled, so to speak. So there are those who are kind of already in the apartments who benefit, but at the you know at quite a bit of expense, and you bring a lot of harm to other people. This is this is a very common thing. When you read um, economics textbooks, you know from a free market perspective that they go into different different things like that and show you 
um, the harm that results. And, and it's all, you know, and they kind of give the benefit of the doubt to the planners as well and say, well, they're really just trying to help people. Okay, fine. But, you know, they don't have the knowledge of um, understanding economic principle um, or the or the wisdom in, in applying that. And so they make bad laws that create problems. Take the war on drugs, for example. Another Another great example, probably a better mm. example than the other two. The war on drugs is people are harmed either directly or indirectly by drugs. People's lives are destroyed when somebody gets addicted, right? When a parent gets addicted, the kids lose their mom. Um, the family's broken apart, all these horrible things. Okay. And we want to fix that. So we want to take away the drugs. Okay. So let's pass laws. Well, <laughs> what, it, what does that do to the drug industry? It doesn't go away. It goes underground. And when it goes underground, it become it, um, it attracts the more scrupulous types that are willing to, um, provide the good, um, on a yeah. riskier basis because of the prohibition and they're a more they're a more violent type of person and they do business on more violent means than than otherwise. Alcohol prohibition was violent. Alcohol today is not. Drug prohibition is violent. If we got rid of the prohibition, you know, you would have reputable companies selling their drugs and there wouldn't be shootouts in the street like there's today and there wouldn't be cartels fighting each other and and what's interesting too is i read i read recently that the cartels in mexico are like upset that they're losing business now that just just two states in the u.s colorado and washington legalized recreational marijuana and that was right. enough to, to, to upset a few cartels in mexico that can no longer move that business here Okay, so that that's violence going down. Consider also when the government swoops in, and and again, this is based on the war on drugs. They want to make drugs harder to get. They, you know, so you know, because drugs do destroy lives. It's a fact. Okay, and, and and I'm not as a libertarian. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying you should go do drugs. Drugs, you know, do and alcohol does too, and that's legal. Anyway, so but there's a sorry. The, there's a reason why. Drugs destroy lives. Well, um, yeah, yeah. That's, there's, there's, that's beyond yeah, that's the, just the properties of the drug and the person taking it. So, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, that's, you know. yeah. You're right. There's, there's a root. I mean, there are roots or several roots to that problem too. It's double jeopardy because, like, taking the drug and the person taking the drug that it has its own consequences. But then to add on top of it, punishment by the state and state state pressure on businesses to drug test their employees so the employees become more paranoid and thus it undercuts their confidence and their performance at the workspace and so they're more likely to lose their job if they are drug tested um and so that puts them in a position where they are financially desperate and so thus crime becomes more likely uh whereas if they were allowed to keep their job i mean you know rush limbaugh was addicted to uh oxycontin and was still able to function on a daily basis this is this is a prescription drug that has similar properties to heroin in its addictive capabilities yet he was still running his talk radio empire um and only got busted because of the the laws against uh abusing uh those drugs and he, he became addicted but he was still high functioning enough to run a profitable business so now, if he had been jailed, that would have ruined his life. And granted, I'm not a big fan of Rush Limbaugh, but 
just he he proves the example that even when you're severely addicted to drugs, you can still be a functioning member of society. Yeah. And to yeah. automatically say just because you're doing those drugs, you belong in a cage. That's what ruins people's lives more than I believe than the actual drug. Well, that's that's true. And, and that's that's the harm that comes as a result of of what is arguably good intentions. Yeah, um, to help people stay that. off drugs. So. Oh, if they go to jail, they have a chance to rehabilitate from the drug. And oh, yeah, putting putting them in an environment where they're surrounded by um, traumatized people who will reenact the violence against them. Um, you know, prison. Yeah, that's a really safe and you know kind space in which to work through the issues that drove your addiction in the first place. <laughs> it just. It, it, like you said, you have good intentions, but you have uh, it, it lacks the knowledge and forethought, or is that the two? No, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. and knowledge. Yeah, knowledge, wisdom, forethought, and understanding the first rule. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it, it well. seems like good intentions are the gas pedal on a Ferrari, but knowledge, uh, wisdom, forethought, and sorry, once again, it's fine. Go on. Yeah. The, it seems like those are the brakes and the steering wheel. Exactly. Oh, that's, um, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah, because if you have the best intention in the world, that's just, I'm going to hit the gas before I really know how the world works, and then you just fly off a cliff, and that's the end of that. So <laughs> I, I, I think there's two, um, at least for me, there were two lessons here. Okay, there's there's the first lesson is when I – when I want to do something and I have really good intentions and I, I've got to, I've got to put a break on that and consider as best as I can and, and use other people who have more experience than I consider all possible consequences of, of those actions. So ignore the goodness of the intention. Say, well, my intentions are just so good. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. Okay. It, it can really give you that zeal, but, um, like a, a phrase you you've used before from Hugh Nibley, zeal without knowledge, right? And that's kind of the same thing here. It's it's yeah, it can exactly. be very dangerous, so be very harmful. And then so that's the first lesson is is with my own intentions, with my own um, actions. And this and the second is when somebody gets up, usually a politician, sometimes um, a business leader, a corporate leader, and they talk about things that they want to do and they have really good intentions to help other people or to, to do this or do that to take a step back. And before um, jumping on the bandwagon in support of it, use wisdom and forethought and knowledge to consider all possible consequences. Okay. Cause politicians love to do that. They get up there and they grandstand and they tell you, you know, how, you know, they obviously they, they tell you about all of society's um, enemies, right? Uh, wizards first rule, people are stupid. And so they'll get behind any enemy and, and then they'll tell you how they're going to fix it. And it's laced with good intentions. Okay. So then the second rule comes in and you've got to understand. So they get up and say, you know, we need to raise a minimum wage because our poor people are suffering. They're not making very much. The rich are getting richer. The poor are getting poorer. We need a minimum wage. We need to help poor people. Good intentions, good intentions, good intentions. But, but if they had, economic knowledge they would realize that that's the absolute that's at least one really bad thing you could do for poor people in fact getting rid of the minimum wage and getting rid of all sorts of regulations licensing laws and all sorts of crap allowing people to start their own businesses a lot easier than it is today or to work 
for whatever they can get is the best thing you can do to help them. But that all goes out the window when it's, you know, it, when it's a politician trying to get elected or trying to stay elected or whatever. Anyways. Mm. So that's it. Those, those two lessons, my own actions. And then when somebody else is making promises, um, back up, slow down, understand the second rule, understand the first rule and, and go from there. So mm, yeah. I love that. I, uh, the thing I want to touch on before we wrap up is, uh, now, when I learned about the ideas of uh, liberty and peaceful parenting and, you know, just everything, voluntarism, and just I, – I always step on my own tongue when I pronounce – I want to say voluntarism, which is one way to say it, and then voluntarism, which is another way, which has an emphasis, em emphasis on the wrong syllable or a different <laughs> one, and then I go – so that's – I, I realize that could be a reflection that I may have the, uh, you know, the good intentions, but not the knowledge. And uh, so I'm very cautious about that. And, you know, to start a podcast is a very bold statement of where you think you are when it comes to the knowledge of the subject. And so my hesitance, like for years, I wanted to start one, but I still, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to do the zeal without knowledge. I didn't because then suddenly someone comes along with a premise that uh, they're just like, well, what about blah? And then I'm like, wait, what? Uh, and then it all comes crashing down. And then you have this Internet legacy of a perspective that you no longer support. And then you changed, you know, you, you want to be on a solid foundation when you go forward, that knowledge, wisdom, understanding, uh, and forethought that, um, is so important. I'm kind of glad that I held off because I just look at how much, how many ideas of mine have changed since the time I actually wanted to start. Once I got the good intention of, I want to get my voice out there and add my voice to the conversation. Um, now hopefully we, we're at that level. I, I feel we are. Um, and I mean, we're getting feedback, but, uh, maybe I should have been a little more astute on the audio production according to the, the one email. Hope, hopefully we, uh, get some feedback on the improvement in sound quality, uh, over the last time. Cause I put a lot of effort into that. But, oh, he um, did. He did respond and say, it sounds great. So, Oh, Hey, yeah, you, you gotta check your Gmail, dude. You don't check your Gmail very often. I don't, I don't <laughs> check my Gmail. I don't want to check anything. That's like two letters after the alphabet. I don't even want to think about that. I do okay. email first. <laughs> then I got to get to my F mail. And then I can worry about the G mail. F mail meaning female, right? Yeah. That's okay. All right. All right sorry. I, know, I, know, I, I hope that wasn't offensive. I know you intended to be funny. Ha <laughs> ha You brought harm to our good name here on this podcast. Oh, I th I think I added to it. <laughs> no, um, actually, yeah, that, that I am a big fan of stand up comedy, and I think a lot. This is that's a lot of people's experience when they try stand up is that they have the excitement and the zeal, and they real, but then they get on stage and nobody laughs that first yeah. time, and they're like, I got a lot of work to do. Yeah, but I, I it. I'm glad I held off because now I feel like I could hold my own in conversations and debates with friends and that, you know, I feel like I have a solid enough foundation to put these ideas out in public and have my name attached to them. So there's, there's benefits to hold, hold your horses. <laughs> I yeah. know you want to tell everybody about your ideas, but kind of, you know, 
make them solid. Uh, put them through the ringer. Challenge everything you think. And that if something will not, you know, if you're going to buy a car, kick the tires, you know, ask about the vehicle history report so that you don't end up buying a lemon. And uh, I think that's a pretty safe bet that ties right into what this whole podcast was about. Yeah. Well, and just just wait till we get to the uh, the third rule, which is a lot, which is very much in the same um, vein as what we've been talking about. You'll see what I mean. Um, but all right, so that's Wizard's second rule, and this is episode twenty one. Let me just go over a few things here. Okay, any comments or questions? Um, definitely email us everythingvoluntary at gmail dot com, and we will uh, respond to it. Um, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 385-313-0565. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or a few other places. Go to everythingvoluntary.com, hit the podcast link at the top, and you can get links to those. On the right side of the page, there's some donation widgets. Um, consider doing that as well. And that's it. Wizard's Second Rule from Terry Goodkind's Stone of Tears, part of the Sword of Truth Epic Fantasy series. I highly recommend it. I very much enjoyed the series. It's... The Sword of Truth series was 12 books long. He, a, a couple of the main characters, though, he's continued writing um, with. And so kind of excited one day I'll read those, too. I'll probably wait till he's done. But anyways, that's it. All right, anything, any final words, Phil? Hey, uh, just hope you guys enjoyed the show today. And, uh, yeah, think before you act. Look before you leap. And uh, at some other point we'll discuss the uh, the gift thing never mind i'll edit this part out blah blah blah, blah. little no. note <laughs> no i have nothing to add skylar thank you okay <laughs> uh all right okay um all right well yeah like you said i'm skylar and i'm phil have a good night 